Chapter 3, Skunk Ape Marty Skunk Ape McClure draped his six-foot frame across a cheap aluminum lawn chair as he kept his eye on a breakfast of sizzling sausages and eggs. His favorite cast-iron frying pan sat securely on the grill of a Coleman stove, laying perched at the edge of a park picnic table. The pan size made it easy to include some bacon to the crackling meal, and this he did, carefully placing six strips of the greasy meat on the hot pan which made the pork crackle and spit upon contact, and then that glorious smell. His chair had been placed within the shade of a motor home's extended awning but, now with the movement of the morning sun, he found it necessary to move his chair closer to the 27-foot recreation vehicle. From this point he enjoyed the scenic boat launch area where he had been camping for the past two days. The Island 22 boat launch, just north of the city of Chilliwack was a graveled affair which gently sloped down to the edge of the silt-strewn Fraser River. On the far side of a midstream sandbar that could pass for an island, lay Harrison Hill. Rising up like the back of a primitive sleeping dinosaur Harrison Hill lay between the shorelines, it was an impressive stone sentry overlooking and protecting Harrison Bay, which lay on its far side. Here, the Harrison and Fraser Rivers met, one crystal clear flowing from the glacial Harrison Lake, and the other a product of the silt-laden broiling waters of the north. Marty watched three eagles standing at the edge of the large midstream sandbar. They stretched and held aloft their dark wings, as they took in the warmth of the early morning sunlight. Even at that distance, Marty could see the confidence in their fierce gaze and he felt envious of their certainty. They knew exactly what they were and the position that they held, in the grand scheme of things. They were the river lords. All others flew beneath them. In contrast, Marty thought of himself as a river rat. Well, maybe a marmot. Scurrying here and there, trying to sniff out a scent, leaving no stone unturned in his quest. If you were to ask Marty and if he was feeling truly honest about his hopes and motivations he would be the first to tell you that there were days when he wished he was a house painter, or a plumber. All things being equal, his chosen vocation appeared not to be one that inspired admiration and respect, at least not from his mother and stepfather. The title cryptozoologist, was not all that impressive to most people when they learned what the honorific stood for. A researcher of hidden animals. What's that, you say? All animals like to hide. Well yes, but hidden animals in this sense referred to the fact that they were so well hidden, that they could not be found. How much training might one need to embark on this noble calling? None. Just an open mind and a logical and skeptical approach to the subject. What you might be surprised to learn is that there are many whose minds are too open. There are those in the field who search for sea creatures, while others pursue elusive land dwellers. But no, not flying saucers. In the main they are crackpots who run around searching for lights in the sky. And the same can be said of the paranormal crowd, who scurry about with flashlights pointed at their faces and light meters in their hands trying to find a disturbance in the force. As for Marty, he was a Sasquatch researcher. This meant that above all else, Marty took pride in the idea that he was pursuing something which left proof of its passage through the world, by leaving behind footprints, castable prints, measurable steps and strides, all large and deep impressions spaced apart, much more than humanly possible. It drove one's imagination to places never accessed before. At least it did so with Marty. 
It had been enough to get him out of the bed every morning for the past 15 years. That was how long ago that this pursuit had become a full-time endeavor, and it had only been possible, with the death of his mother, who had left him the family home. His stepfather had little interest in the property, and for that matter little interested in Marty, and within a month Marty had put the house up on the market. When it sold, he hit the road for the West Coast to follow his passion and never looked back. He knew that he was fortunate to have the backing of that money, as the Sasquatch circuit of symposiums and university guest speaker gigs barely paid for his gas. His last gig had been at the University of British Columbia, but now he was free until the end of the month when he was booked into a small museum down in Yakima, Washington. But now he was in his late forties and the appeal of the researcher talk circuit was becoming rather tarnished. The same talks about the same facts, answering the same questions, giving the same insights. It was like nature offered up this beast and only gave several clues as to its identity. And those clues were still the only parts of the puzzle that were believable. Yesterday, he had spent an hour with a room of ninth graders. It was fun. They knew just enough to be adversarial, and, the buggers kept you honest. Miss Cooper brought her class to order and introduced Marty Skunk Ape McClure. Skunk Ape always got a reaction from the kids and put them in the right state of mind. Ridicule. Casually leaning back against Miss Cooper's desk, Marty took in the room. Suddenly, he stood erect looking around the room pausing, making eye contact. Then with a tried and true introduction speech, he cast his net and let them know what this guy at the front of the class was all about. And slowly he drew them in. Even Miss Cooper took an empty desk by the door attentively watching her class's reactions, as Marty started his opening remarks. Sasquatch. There has been a lot of crazed speculation about this creature giving it a mythically presence amongst indigenous peoples and anyone who has an interest in the list of creatures who inhabit our ecosystem. For many years I have let Sasquatch into my life, on a virtually daily basis, either through research on the internet, by mail, on the phone, or by spending time out in the field. Also, in the company of other researchers, writers and investigators, and like-minded individuals. Over the years, I have read thousands of reports and investigated dozens of unusual encounters. Have I done enough research to write books on the subject? I do not think so. But, I do know enough to be able to talk with certainty on the subject, and not insult anyone's intelligence. So, what is a Sasquatch? Asked a male voice from the back of the room, causing number of students to stir restlessly in their seats. It is my belief, answered Marty holding up a forefinger. And the belief of many others, that Sasquatch is a flesh and blood animal, by this I mean, it is not supernatural, alien, or multidimensional, nor is it a wood spirit as the Native American believe. Why do I say such? Because its movements can be documented with evidence. Sightings and footprints that you can follow are not the norm for a woodland spirit. In that regard, it holds no more mystery by its existence than does a grizzly. But that is not to say that this creature holds no mystery for mankind. A red-haired girl in the front row raised her hand. So, if I wanted to see one, where would I find them? It has been shown that they're found wherever men, or women, chose to go. They have been sighted anywhere from the seashore to the mountains, and they seem not to have a preference for either. If reports are to be believed, they have been spotted anywhere, 
from high in the Rockies to dumpsters on the coast. The same previous male voice from the back of the room, eliciting some giggles from the rest of the class. So, what are they? Homeless? Or something? Marty smiled and cocked his head. I believe that they take shelter wherever it may be found. At least that is what evidence shows, Miss. Cooper, added to the conversation from her seat by the door. I heard somewhere that they make nests out of boughs and sleep in them. Marty smiled at her with raised eyebrows. Boys and girls, he said, turning back to the class. It should be noted here, that no creature has ever been observed building such structures. Nor, has one ever been seen inside, or near one of these nests. So, do they live in families, or tribes, or herds, or whatever? This came from a pretty blonde girl, in the first row, who sat looking at Marty and wearing a smile, as she twirled he hair with two fingers. Putting his hands into his jeans pockets, Marty sat on the edge of the desk again and smiled back at the girl. He asked the girl her name, and she told him it was Laura. Well Laura, he began, the majority of reports involve singular sightings, but there has been somewhere as many as three or four have been seen together so it might be possible that they form a family grouping for the raising of their young. There are a few people who have claimed to have been in close quarters with a group of Sasquatch for extended periods, but, be warned, none of them ever offered a shred of proof to back up this claim. So how big can Sasquatch get? Asked the girl who had identified herself as Laura. Marty smiled at the girl and walked to the blackboard and drew some lines and footprints. There are formulas for working out a creature's height by the length of its stride. Visual guesstimates during sightings have suggested the creature's weight. The average height is estimated as 6 foot 6 to 8 foot 6. There are exceptions. As far as weight goes, estimates are 400 pounds and up for the larger creatures. Laura opened her mouth to speak but was cut off by Miss Cooper who interjected a question of her own intending to end Laura's flirtations. Marty are Sasquatch dangerous? Marty gave a shrug. I would have to say, no, not according to reports. Marty moved from the blackboard back to the desk. But, he continued, while there have been reports of violent encounters, I do not believe those incidents to be the norm. The vast majority of such reports were made around the turn of the century when press releases tended to lean towards the more outlandish and bizarre offerings. They were not above playing it up for their readers. There is nothing to fear from a Sasquatch. Marty was cut short by the blare of a PA system, calling all students to the gym for an assembly. I am sorry. Miss Cooper apologized. They moved up the assembly on the schedule. No problem, smiled Marty. These things happen. I also wanted to apologize for Laura. She continued, in a voice loud enough to be heard by the blushing student who was just passing by. Marty smiled. I would enjoy coming back to see your class and discuss Sasquatch further, if that would be possible. Miss Cooper shook his hand and expressed her assurance that her class would welcome him. Marty fished about in his jacket and found a business card, which he offered to the teacher. She accepted with a smile. It was a pleasure meeting you and your class, Miss Cooper. I look forward to coming back. The woman smiled at this and tilting her head slightly she told Marty that her name was Alana. Alana Cooper. I will remember that. I will look forward to hearing from you. Again. About speaking to your class. 
Releasing her hand, he left the classroom and retraced his steps to the parking lot. That was yesterday. Today, he was now on his own time and breakfast awaited. Picking up the frying pan he scooped the contents onto a plate. Adjusting his chair further into the shade of the awning he sat and watched the eagles on the sandbar, as he ate. Just before noon an aluminum-hulled jet boat rounded the point of the island and headed toward the Island 22 launch area. Marty put down the book that he had been reading and eased himself out of his chair. The craft cut its engine and silently floated to the graveled beach. Just as the boat beached itself a stocky native jumped out of the passenger side and muscled the craft a few feet further up the beach. Smiling, Marty strode down the beach and reached for the man's extended hand. The Indian pumped and bumped Marty's hand, by way of greeting. How is it going skunk ape? His white teeth flashed through a sparse black goatee. It was a warm honest greeting from the muscular, shorter man. Marty knew Kevin Paul as a native from a small band located across the river on Harrison Bay an old logging community, wide and bulky, with arms like the animals he tracked, Kevin was well known on the river, so too was his brother George who now was sitting behind the wheel of the boat, Marty leaned forward and waved, George gave him an acknowledgement by waving the hand which held the steering wheel, his expression unreadable behind the dark sunglasses which he wore. So what are you guys up to? asked Marty. Got some nets upriver? Nope. Actually, we came here to see you, said the stocky riverman folding his arms over a barrel chest. Marty puckered his lips momentarily. So, how did you know where to find me? I just got here yesterday. Your buddy Crocodile Dundee. He's up at the Chehalis Res nosing about. Marty put his hands in the front pocket of his jeans and absently looked upriver. What's he doing? Marty knew who Crocodile Dundee was. In this case, his name was Kipper Danby a researcher who Marty had befriended some years before at a university symposium in Prince George. Since then Kipper had taken up residence in Chilliwack, using it as a base for his pursuit of the hairy hominid, known as Sasquatch. Kipper was overzealous and persistent, with just enough knowledge about the subject to be dangerous. He was a favorite of the media when they needed some filler for the 6 o'clock news, or something for the local rag when filler is needed for page 3. But at the same time, he was totally harmless. And it was true that Marty had phoned Kipper yesterday to let him know his plans to be in the area for a few weeks. Kevin continued to make his point. Well, for the past few days he's made a fixture of himself at the gas bar, asking every customer who came in through the door, if they had heard any reports of a sighting, it was the guys behind the counter who told him about some sightings that took place in the res, over the years. You know, standard tourist stuff, just to sell a few more mugs and t-shirts. But for the past two days he has been lurking around the band office. When they got tired of him there, they banished him to the parking lot. The chief wanted him out of there altogether. So, this guy drove down into the res and is just hanging out with any family who will give him the time of day. Marty's eyes swept the sandbar and came to rest on two remaining eagles still sitting there. So, what can I do? He asked, nothing, I guess. But you just might want to do something for your own self-interest. Remember, encounters happen, but the vast majority are never reported for different reasons. It might be wise for you to put a buzz in his ear. Keep the lanes of communication open. 
as it were. In other words, Kevin Paul was telling Marty that what little information the bands contribute to the perpetuation of the Sasquatch, myth or reality, could suddenly find itself becoming a dried creek bed. Marty shrugged his shoulders. I will see what I can do. I'll have a talk with him, you know. Suggest that he tone it down a bit. I was hoping that this was the tack that you would take with the matter, smiled Kevin. Holding up one finger he pointed it at Marty. Now, I came to tell you that, so I could tell you this. Placing his hand on Marty's shoulder the pair took a few steps further up the beach. I have a cousin, named Wendy who works at the band office. She has a story that might interest you, should you care to listen. And this one is as hot off the press as they can get. She's got a friend named Kathy Burns, who owns the Burns Inn. Wendy does some part-time work there, anyway. Two nights ago, this woman had a scary encounter at her cabin up Ruby Creek Way. Wendy got there soon after it happened. She's at work over at the inn this morning, and she's expecting a visit from you. After you guys talk, she will make arrangements for you to meet with Kathy Burns. That good, huh? Asked Marty. That good, replied Kevin as he made his way down the beach and pushed off the boat. When Kevin jumped in, his brother George fired up the motor and soon the growling jet boat was in deeper water sending up a plume as it headed back around the island. With the breakfast dishes stacked in the sink, Marty locked the motor home door and walked back to the black 20 feet cargo trailer that he towed in conjunction with the big Ford home on wheels. Unlocking the chrome hockey pucks he freed up the latches and let the large ramp ease its way to the ground. Inside of the long trailer were his prized possessions, a 1500cc Kawasaki Vulcan motorcycle and behind that, an 700cc Polaris Ranger side-by-side, all-terrain vehicle. Marty walked up the ramp and released the straps which secured the motorcycle. Easing the big red two-wheeler off its kickstand, he shifted into neutral and allowed it to roll down the ramp into the sunlight. Turning on the gas line he thumbed the start button and the big engine came alive. He left it to idle while he secured the camp. Soon he was rolling down cart mail drive onto Young Road, and onto Camp Road, that carried him along the twisting shoreline of the Fraser River. Isolated beaches and sandbars made the area ripe for those who liked to fish salmon and steelhead, or race their quads along the uneven gravel mounds. Eventually he crossed under the Rosedale Bridge. Turning right he came to an access road that took him up onto Highway 9. From there he rode across the bridge into the town of Agassiz. At the junction with Highway 7 the Burns Inn took up a place of prominence. Easing the bike into the parking lot, he pulled up before the main entrance, taking in the two-story building. As he killed the engine and removed his helmet the bottom floor was used up by a deli-slash-coffee shop to the left of the entrance, and a general store-slash-gas bar, to the right. Putting his helmet on the seat he walked up the three steps to the entrance. Inside of the double doors he saw a pretty indigenous woman standing by the registration desk. She gave a bright smile as he approached. He noticed that, to his right was a single glass door leading outside to the gas pumps, and to the left was the entrance to a coffee shop, and between the desk and the coffee shop entranceway, were stairs leading up to the rooms. Hi, may I help you? Asked the young woman. Yes, my name is Marty McClure and I've come to see a woman who works here. Her name is Wendy. I believe that she is expecting me. 
The girl reached for the desk phone and spoke into it for a moment. Hanging up she directed Marty to the coffee shop. He was surprised to note that she came around the desk to join him. I just happened to be Wendy, she admitted, with a smile. The coffee shop was solely occupied by an elderly Indian, a lone figure, who sat against the far wall, away from the entrance and near a large window facing the parking lot. He wore jeans and a leather vest, his hair was braided, and a walking stick lay propped up in the corner, near at hand. Wendy asked the waitress to bring them two coffees, and they sat in silence for a moment. Marty leaned forward placing his elbows on the table and propped his thumbs under his chin. Kevin Paul told me that you had an encounter of some kind that I might be interested in hearing about, it wasn't my encounter, corrected Wendy, but I got there soon after it happened. Marty extracted a small digital recorder out of his jacket pocket and placed it on the table between them. Wend held up a cautionary hand as the waitress placed their coffees on the table. Thanks Tabby. She smiled at their server. When she left Marty turned on the recorder. Is it okay if I tape this? Listen, I'm just a bystander here. She tapped her finger on the table. I don't know what is going on. My grandmother Serafina suggested that Mrs. Burns speak to you about something that scared her. That you could convince her that she has nothing to worry about. Just some bear hanging around her cabin. I'm just here just to get to the bottom of whatever happened. I have no other agenda. I like mysteries. Marty smiled. And if you have a few minutes, I would like to hear about what happened. Can I use the recorder? Wendy nodded her head and took a sip of coffee. He spoke his name and the date into the recorder, then added Wendy's information, as she gave it to him. He gave an investigation number to the file and then continued speaking into the recorder, giving Wendy the title of secondary witness. After asking her a string of specific questions he then invited her to tell him, in her own words, everything that happened after the early morning phone call, and not to leave out any detail of what she saw, or heard at the cabin. Wendy underplayed her investigation at the cabin, giving Marty the impression that she was just a concerned observer speaking for her friend. Talking to Lucas earlier, he suggested that she not let her interest, in the subject of Sasquatch, become apparent to the researcher. She knew that her uncle was playing a casual presence over by the window, but he was most assuredly being very attentive to her conversation with Marty. What makes anyone think that this incident has anything to do with a Sasquatch? Marty was saying, there was very little in the way of proof. Well, I am not sure what proof you would need? Asked Wendy. I have never seen one, and I don't know anyone who has, she offered. I've just heard stories, you know, from the elders, but I do find the subject interesting. I will admit that, Wendy omitted the conversation that she had with Kathy about Sasquatch that night at Serafina's request. Her mission was to make herself available to be Marty's sidekick, an assistant if needed, but not a competitor, and she was well aware that Serafina thought of scientific researchers as arrogant individuals, trying to define what they could not even conceive. But as they say, even a broken clock is right twice a day, who knows what they might churn up in the wake of an investigation, this was to be one path of many. It was not the first time that such an association bore fruit. Wendy just had to keep things on an even keel, while Serafina and Lucas followed other paths. Which would be the right one?